actually. Okay, so let's let's go with that. So, hi, welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. I'm Jason Sachs, and I'm joined this week by Amir Malikpour. Thanks for joining me, Amir. Uh, we're going to talk about Jack Kirby's New Gods Number One. This might end up be, being a series of the two of us chatting about Kirby. Um, so we thought we would start with uh, maybe his greatest work, some of his greatest work anyway. But let's, before we dive into New Gods number one, why don't we talk a little bit about our experience with Kirby and what brought us to this point? I know, Amir, you've been more like an indie comics fan than a Kirby fan. And you're just, am I right that you're just reading this work for the first time, more or less? Yeah. For the first, I'm reading New Gods for. I mean, I've had the trades and I've gotten a lot of the stuff, but I've really been deep digging into reading Kirby right now for New Gods specifically. Um, I can tell you like where I came from as far as reading Kirby. I did not start reading as an adult comic books until about ten years ago, maybe um, 2009, 2010. And prior to that, I actually was born in another country. I was born in Iran. So my history with comic books was specifically around reading Tintin and like maybe Franco-Belgium comics like uh, Lucky Luke. And um, also, yeah, those are the two ones I remember as a kid. And I read a little bit of Batman and Superman. So I was not exposed to Kirby at all as a child. And then, uh, and, I'm, and I'm 43, so... This is back in, I guess, the early 80s or whatever. And then I, I stopped reading. as I came to the U.S. when I was 10, so around 88 or so, or 89. And um, I uh, did not read comics until I was 33 again. And I was exposed to first, you know, just I went to a con and I, you know, got exposed to Darwin Cook, started to read some of his stuff, then really kind of got into more indies as time passed, but I still read, you know, all kinds of comics. I love mainstream. I love indie comics. Right now, I just love getting self-published and as much as possible, like, independent stories. And I buy superhero comics, too, but generally because of the artist. And the way I got exposed to Kirby was, I'll be honest, I actually was staying away from comic books because I always felt like the cover art was better than the interior art. That was my ignorant idea. I was like, oh, you know, the art sucks. You know, I don't really like the art. And then I got exposed to a little bit of art. I, you know, like I said, I love, I started really liking Darwin Cook stuff. I started liking a guy named Jim Rugg. He did this thing called Aphrodisiac, which was really old school kind of that, like the paper looked like 1970s art paper. And so I, as I got exposed to that, I heard about Kirby. And I'm going to admit this. At first, I thought the art was ugly. But I also want to say my ignorance was also that I thought Frank Quietly's art was not good. I wanted like clean, like, you know, like when I first came in, I will also say that Alex Ross was like, oh, my God, painting. That's hard work. That was my ignorance, you know. And again, the reason I say the painting thing is because my mom is a painter. So I was kind of used to that. And so I was like, that's what I thought was like, oh, this is great comics, which, you know, with all due respect to Alex Ross, I think there's probably better comics out there. I mean, he's great. He's amazing. In retrospect, I like him, but, you know, and then I got exposed to Kirby as I started to get more educated in comics. I realized how much impact he has, including all these other ones, all these other comic artists that I liked. And then the more I got into it, the more books I read from him, the more books I read about him. There's a book that uh, Mark Evanier wrote about him. I think it's called The King. Mm -hmm. I got that early, like maybe two years in the com reading comics. And I read that and now I just was blown away by how amazing Jack Kirby is. And then like I started to, um, you know, collect everything he's got. And I have a lot of his comp issues. I love, um, in fact, I was actually, as I was digging for my issue of New Gods, I came upon my issues of 2001 Space Odyssey with him. And I'm going to read those again. I love, you know, just everything he's got. It's just amazing. So much imagination um, at the, yeah, it's amazing. So uh, just his imagination is it's, it's un unbelievable. And, 
I was actually reading in uh, like a little note at the end of New Gods, this issue, issue one, the original one. I think Marv Wolfman wrote about meeting Kirby for the first time or something. And um, the quote that he has is that a lot of people said about Kirby is that when you reach the end of the universe, you'll see Jack Kirby's signature at the right bottom corner of that. <laughs> yeah, so much imagination. He would take something and he would take it to the most possible way i don't know like he would just take it to the next level and i just that's how i feel about kirby and in reading this issue number one i'm blown away by how many themes he's got just in that not only plot not only story not only characters not only art but also in my opinion so many ideas about what was going on with his life what happened with his life almost autobiographical mm. which is that's another thing that i love about him yeah and let's get to that in a minute um, so my story with Kirby is a little different from yours. So as you know, I've been reading comics since I was very young, um, mm -hmm. mainly because I, I mainly got into it because all my other friends read comics also. Mm -hmm. It was just something everybody did. And I remember distinctly reading Marvels in the um, mid-70s, um, being a guy in his 50s now, um, and there being... Um, notifications, the bullpen bulletins, you know, hype in the Marvel bullpen bulletins. Kirby's back, hooray! Mm. And picking up his comics and thinking they were awful, unreadable, mm -hmm. stupid. His work felt very stodgy and stiff. And mm -hmm. um, whenever he would take over a book, it would be disappointing to me. He took over Captain America, for example, from Sal Buscema. And mm -hmm. to me, Sal Buscema was the epitome of great comic art. And Kirby's art mm -hmm. was just awful. So, like, I didn't actually read any of those books at the time. The worst was Double Dinosaur. Mm -hmm. um, and I just grew to hate Kirby. Um, and, you know, um, I was in the generation that called him Jack the Hack. Mm. Um, later on, I, I sampled a few issues of Captain Victor, which came out in 80, 81. Um, he had another series, a six-issue series through... Pacific Comics, which is a short-lived company um, called Silver Star, that I actually really enjoyed. But it really took until after college, after I kind of came back to Kirby, that I started to really appreciate his work. Obviously, the Fantastic Four and Thor work was amazing, mm -hmm. but it took me a while to come back around to reading New Gods. Um, and then once I rediscovered New Gods especially, I found like this is like this pure distillation of Kirby. It's a terrible analogy, but it's like the crack cocaine of Jack Kirby, right? It's just this incredibly intense burst of energy, creativity, and thought that's just all there on the page. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I've come to love all the, the New Gods work, um, from the Jimmy Olsen stories all the way up through um, the last, the, the Hunger Dogs, which I think is actually a brilliant work. Mm. And... Um, one that really reflects Kirby's anxiety about his place in the world as an older man, an older creator. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I think I I've come around and I still am not a huge fan of the seventies work, but everything else, especially new gods to me is just so sublime. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you see a lot of Kirby's philosophy in new gods. Um, do you want to talk about that first and then we can get into some of the story? I mean, I think it's as we go through the story, I can go through some of, um, I mean, I was going to have some preliminary like questions, but um, I, I do have some notes around the philosophy part where like, uh, let me try to look at some notes. I, actually, I was going to ask you a couple of things. This is before going into it because I wanted to go over the notes. Um, so here's, okay, here's the thing about, I'll talk about this. I just seen in my note here. You just mentioned about his, as an older creator, you know, among, you know, what I love about him, uh, what I love about Jack Kirby is he's an older guy who recognizes that the young are the future. And that sounds really cheesy. Sounds like Michael Jackson's song. It's like, <laughs> And I, I believe that too. I'm like 43 now and I see that and I notice that like there's a lot of passion and youth and a lot of things are going on. We don't need to go about what's going on in the world right now, but I do see that. And one of the quotes that I have is, you know, when Orion, and we can go through the story, but just want to, 
pointed out is that when Orion first shows up and you meet him and the high father, the high father is like listening to the chorus of the young and he's all like, first we bow to the young. They carry, who carry the, who carry life, I think he says. They carry life. They must remain free, life, flowers, and freedom. I mean, that idea of like, he's just coming out of the 60s. This is an older guy. Like this is a World War II generation guy recognizing that there's, there's turmoil in the, you know, in society, there's civil unrest and youth are the future in changing things, you know, and there, he sees that, that passion and light in, in, in the youth. And I just mm-hmm. love, love that, you know, the other thing is like, you know, to me, like, obviously the source, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I'm not necessarily religious. And I do, I do enjoy the idea of source, which is kind of like a higher power of some sorts. I mean, these are gods, but there is, and the higher power is the goodness, you know, you, you want to like, you get direction of what's, I mean, it's giving you kind of, but you, you look at what's good, you know? And the other thing about Metron, which I always wonder Metron, and we'll, we'll probably go through all these characters again, like Metron um, is all knowledge, right? It's, it's like a God of knowledge type of thing. And so to me, it's interesting how neutral God of knowledge is. And to me, the God of knowledge is essentially science. Mm-hmm. And there's a point in the book Metron points out and he says, like, I came up with the boom tube when the old gods died, came up with the new boom tube. Essentially, when people's faith in the old gods went away, people's faith in Thor or whoever, you know, mm-hmm. Ruth Rastra or whatever went away. Then science started to creep in and become the new higher power and God. But that's not who you need to worship because science is neutral and can serve both good and evil at times. And so that that's really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of these other stuff, you know. So let's let's yeah. go back and talk a bit about his treatment of the young, because um, first of all, New Gods number one was created sometime during 1970, mm-hmm. and it was released the same month as Forever People, and um, I think it was four months after his first issue with Jimmy Olsen. I was gonna so, say, sorry, Jason. Should we talk about the um, the summary of it? Or I did have some questions, just the technical parts of questions that I wanted to ask you if you may know about it. Sure. Let's start with that, and let's then let's go back to themes and and talk through the issue. Sure. So one of the questions I had is I I noticed that the cover of the original issue, the coloring, is so much different than the interior. And then the other thing that I noticed was I was looking at the trade paperback. The cover is actually inked by Don Heck, where the interiors are inked by Vince Coletta, who everybody like, you know, shuns because he erased his work and stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I've heard is that just from a technical perspective, I've heard that the first three issues that uh, Kirby drew um, were not Xeroxed. So actually, his original art was erased by Coletta. Um, but that's those are some of the things. But my question was... Um, do you know why, who would have colored these issues? Because the, the, the interior coloring, like his, his uniform and the looks of it, is so much different than the exterior one. In fact, the exterior one looks, from the original issue, not the trade paperback, the exterior one looks really like psychedelic in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. And the interior is totally different. And then now, like, that's been lost. You can't even find the original coloring anywhere. I don't even think it's in the uh, reprints. None of the reprints have any of the coloring on the exterior, I think. Yeah, they were air quote corrected. Um, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, and that's really interesting to me. Um, as you know, also, like, the cover's a little awkward. Like, the title New Gods is enormous. Yeah. It takes up a third of the cover. And the yeah. little side logo is also just huge. Uh, this cover's never really completely made sense to me. Now, I know they had originally planned it for an issue of Showcase, and then mm-hmm. it got moved into its own series. And I think the cover was originally going to be offset by like 20% on the top and sides. Mm-hmm. So that might be why it's so huge. But I don't know why it's psychedelic, and I don't know the color in a psychedelic way, and I don't know why Don Heck inked it. I do know there was another cover to Mr. Miracle number three, I think, mm-hmm. that has very strange coloring. It's the one where Mr. Miracle's on a tied to a tube and his whole uniform is paint is white. Mm. Um, oh, okay. so I, that's, 
it, it's always been kind of a mystery to me. And then the cover itself is just an odd cover anyway, because the single image of Orion with just like this pasted up uh, picture of the planet Earth behind him. It's an incredibly striking cover. I love um, it. But I it's just it. so odd. I love it because to me, the way I, you know, just kind of reading about Kirby and obviously knowing it is he did a lot of experiments with collages. And this is a, like an example of a collage. And furthermore, I think when Kirby, you know, when he left, you know, a lot of people might know this already, the listeners, but Kirby left uh, Marvel on bad terms. And when he came to DC, he was supposedly promised creative freedom, you know? Mm-hmm. Like part of that creative freedom is having like uh, high quality comics and coloring. And I don't really think the mainstream uh, comic book companies really have high quality. Like European band SNAs, if you look at like heavy metal, which I think heavy metal started maybe a few years later, but they all have like these like amazing coloring. And I think this, in my opinion, Kirby envisioned his characters to have psychedelic coloring like this, potentially. It could be wrong. I could be wrong. And then I just love the collage work, which for the time was, you know, groundbreaking for the mm-hmm. 70s. So I do love this cover. Um, I'm, gra- I'm grateful that I own it because I'm sure it's really expensive now. But like, I'm grateful I got to have one. And um, I'm grateful I got to take a look at it because there's a lot. It's really interesting. Like It's kind of like a rare morsel relic. But it, I love it. Yeah, I think it, it's it, it, it feels like a time capsule. There's the ad for um, uh, like a compilation album that's got work by Arlo Guthrie and Neil Young and The Grateful Dead. It's just all so it really is just captures a different time. I actually have some comments about the ads, too. I took some pictures of them. Like there is a there's a moon monster ad, which looks like a Kirby character anyways, a little mm-hmm. bit. And then they have like, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty cool stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, there is that one. Um, this was just a question to you. I was wondering, did Kirby ever ink himself? There's a couple of instances of Kirby inking himself, especially in the Marvel era. But oh. they're very rare. Oh, okay. I'd be interesting because I, I, I kind of think about like him, like what if he had complete 100% creative freedom and he didn't have to worry about making money what could he have produced even like like with his imagination you know what could he have done you know well apparently he was his contract he was contractually obligated to produce 15 pages a month so he didn't have time to ink himself just because he needed to needed to do his own do some so much work himself there is um just a handful of of think of pages he inked himself um very very little because he just didn't he didn't consider it to be important mm-hmm. um i think yeah he no he didn't yeah i i have trouble finding anything out of the quick mm-hmm. uh, google but yeah I mean, that's all i had I, the other thing was that I, I just from a technical perspective it reminds me of heavy metal this is like mm-hmm. a heavy metal magazine comic and if it would have showed up oh the other thing is um um, the reason it also uh, rem- as reminds me of heavy metal is um, um, there's an artist, Droulet, who showed up in heavy metal a lot. And this page, this cover, reminds me of Droulet's work. Yeah, I can see that. And I do feel like if you look at Droulet, I mean, not the style of drawing, a lot of like, it's very similar. And I think I, I don't know who, I'm assuming Droulet came after him. They could have been contemporaries, but I feel like there's a lot of um, influence. Well, no one, came, no one came before Kirby because Kirby drew Captain America in 1940. Oh, no, 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 but I mean his, sorry, I meant his style. His style, because 1940s Captain America style is different than 1970s. Uh, yeah, so. and sure. I mean, like, this is... Style. I'm sure he saw Fantastic Four and Thor and other work also by him. Even yeah, before yeah. He got. Um, so yeah, yeah, keep going. It's really interesting. Uh, that was um, um, that was it on that. Um, I can go into a little bit more of my notes on uh on the philosophy part. 
I, oh, going into the young ones. Sorry, I, I think I interrupted you. I, I really apologize. That's okay. Yeah. Keep um, going, Amir. You're on. You're going. Keep going. I, so t going back to the young, because you were going to talk about the young, uh, you know, his idea of young. So the first time he meets um, uh, Light Ray. Um, Actually, that was very before we get into that, let's talk about just this whole the way, the way the issue begins and how almost perfect it is as a first issue. Mm -hmm. Because um, it starts with epilogue, right? And imagine being a reader in 1970. This came out in like November or December 1970. So imagine being a reader in 1970 and you're greeted by this epilogue of this enormous Ragnarok-style battle. All, and that was completely intentional. There came a time when the old gods died. Now, just think about that phrase alone in the context yeah. of Kirby's career, right? He had literally just left Marvel, right? Stan Lee is sitting, is sitting at Marvel saying, how are we going to get by without Kirby? Kirby's our backbone. And DC has been, or National at that time, had been piping Kirby's arrival for three months or so, right? So this is a very clear symbolic moment. It's not just you know the the Ragnarok of the gods, the Norse gods dying from Thor. This is actually Kirby saying, "Everything you thought of in the past is just prologue. It's all mm -hmm. dying away. I'm creating a new world for you now." Mm -hmm. um, and you see, like this this Titanic battle, full of Kirby crackle and mm -hmm. two plants colliding, and this enormous like just metaphysical destruction. And then what emerges out of it but a single man in this strange harness. Mm -hmm. And then on the next page, we have a close-up on his face. And it's got to be just the most traumatic character introduction you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Because out of all this chaos, the old gods died. And who is there to, to bring the torch forward? Orion of the new gods. Mm -hmm bringing an epic for our time, as it says on page three. And I just think it's just a unbelievably powerful way to begin a story. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at that. Um, so, I, And I think only Kirby could pull something like this off also. Mm -hmm. Because there, there's this, this primal energy to it that it just feels like because of the intensity of the work he brings to it, and for a change, Coletta doesn't kind of take away from his work very much in this issue. I feel like this is something that's been germinating in Kirby's mind for so long, and he wanted to have the two planets collide and the at the top of page two as a way of saying, God damn it, I'm done with this old garbage. I'm moving forward with my life, and I'm going to be creating this work I've been dreaming about for several years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, that's I, I, I like like that whole first page with like you described with like the fiery, you know, like there's like a dragon. It's, it looks like hell. Mm -hmm. It it again like it reminds like I remember the the heavy metal movie. There's a scene like this that's taken exactly from this type of thing where like you see like the guy on the top right hand corner. Like looking like telling people to go to battle, and it's like it's yeah. pretty scary, like stuff. Yeah, it's that's great. And then also like it's a great analogy to his, you know, just blowing up his past and starting something new. So it's a strong statement, and in a way, it goes to the whole point about youth, right? Because he's mm -hmm. saying, "I'm not working with old Stan anymore. I'm now coming up with this whole new universe." There's no wrinkles on Orion's face. There's no smile lines next to his eyes. There's nothing next to his lips. He is ready for, he's ready to, to, to embrace youth. We flip the page and Orion's, someone's flying around Orion. We don't see his, his face for the next page. Mm -hmm. We just see the streak of light. It's white. It's clean. It's pure. Mm -hmm. And then on page five, we find out that this is Light Ray, who's consciously mm -hmm. wearing a white costume. Mm. Right, the sign of purity, cleanliness. Um, so it feels new, right? He's not a black shirt; he's a white shirt. And I'm sorry mm -hmm. for the racist implications of a phrase like that, but uh, in this context, it makes yeah. sense. And what are they just juxtaposed against? What's in the background? Two things: this enormous uh, um, statue 
uh, of someone like of a divine figure. And then people really looks like young people floating around in the sky, their capes flying uh, uh, behind them. Mm -hmm. Um, showing like this this happiness and this peace and this joy. Mm -hmm. So out of this destruction, we have this this being emerge, who's swept swept out by someone who we discover is light ray. When again, what's more pure than light? Mm -hmm. And he's juxtaposed against this world of pure beauty. We turn the page and we have this dialogue that's basically saying, um, "Hey." Orion, we know you're carrying a lot of shit on your shoulders, which we could have felt in the first few pages. But listen to me, Light Ray, chill out, relax. Yeah, you know, um, you know, it's not that your your destiny may be battle, but um, to laugh is to feel the beat of life. Live, Orion, live. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just so it's just so full. And then immediately we get taken to the scene where High Father is listening to the chorus. So I guess what I'm saying is that Kirby is sweeping us into this world, pull, just dragging us into this world that we feel compelled to go into because it's creating this series of images that continually are rocking us, continually moving us into this world and making us intrigued by it, just giving us enough pieces to intrigue us to say, hey, you know, hey, Jason, hey, Amir, hey, obscure reader, I'm going to give you something that you're not going to get, you've never seen before, that you're not going to get anywhere else. Because I'm Jack Kirby, I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to be swept along with it. And you're going to feel, uh, whatever age you are, the same feeling of youthful energy that I'm feeling creating this work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, I'm kind of going off um, in, uh, with quite a speech there. Um, yeah. Did you feel that? Did you I feel mean, that absolutely. energy when you were reading it? I mean, absolutely. You can't help but feel the energy if you see um, his art. And I actually, even the trade paperback, that whole city that he's flying into is so beautiful, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, and then what I love about it is um, we'll see him going into, you know, the opposite place and the difference between like Apocalypse and, you know, New Genesis. Um, I do have some comments about Light Ray, and you know, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, what I think it's interesting about is like the the quote that I was gonna, or the thing that I quote is, um, uh, we know when Light Ray says, "Hey, chill out, man. You know, just be chill. You know, be peaceful and stuff." And I feel like Light Ray represents the, you know, the peace loving uh, new generation. And Orion's, at least philosophy-wise, I mean, he's still, he's young too. He represents Jack Kirby himself having gone to war. You know, he grew up poor. He had to fight from ever since he was a little kid, just like Orion, you know, like mm -hmm. Orion, as we know, was born on Apocalypse. He had to fight for everything he had. Spoilers. <laughs> well, yeah. Actually, they, they do explicitly say that, right? You're a man of two worlds, I think they say. Well, you Orion. A few yeah. pages later, Metron kind of gossips about his past too. Mm -hmm. But basically, Orion was at war. He was he lived in. I mean, uh, Kirby was born in the ghettos. He had to fight for everything he had. He had to deal with anti-Semitism. He had to go to war, see all this death, and then only twenty-five years prior to this, that's like for us, it'd be like nineteen ninety-five know that 6 million Jews were murdered by the Nazis, by Hitler. 25, 20, that's only, that's nine, That's when I graduated from high school. Imagine then, you know, and it's just, and, and it's just incredible to see like all this horror, horror. And that's, and having gone through all these hardships and then you have Light Ray, who's privileged, born into new Genesis, is positive minded. And here's the quote, he's all like, and this is what Orion says, we are different, you and I, and yet good friends. And that's what I love about it. You know, like Kirby is an old generation. He's gone through all this hell. There are these new young kids who are coming up in a better world, probably more wealthy, but have the right mindset. And we're mm -hmm. one. We have one. We have one thing to make the world better, kind of like New Genesis. And I just love that part of that. That's a really beautiful statement about Kirby, isn't it? That despite all that he went through. 
emotionally and physically, um, he came out of it with this incredible level of optimism yeah. that we see in, in every page of this work. Mm -hmm. You have to, to be that amazing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you have to, but I'm glad that he is. But, um, but yeah, so that's, and then a couple of things, other ones, and you know, like, um, redheaded stepchild, redheaded. Oh, yeah. And then, again, going back to light rail coming from privilege, he also represents what's beautiful, blonde, blue eyed, you know, what he, mm -hmm. you know, what, what a lot of racism would say and at that time, well, not at that time, but in the, when Jack was, you know, during World War II. So, but that, yeah, Orion being redheaded stepchild, like he's, he's from another world, but he's accepted in this loving world. Um, so yeah, um, that's, that's all I have to say about that part. Um, I, I don't know if you wanted to keep going talking about that or maybe talk about Metron, the science. New God. It seems appropriate to talk about Metron next because we we immediately get introduced to Metron. Yeah. yeah. Um, it really is like so the the first well actually the whole first issue is so eventful. Mm -hmm. It is yeah. Because then there's Metron, so we have Orion who represents in some ways the darkness and Light Ray who represents the light obviously, and then as you were saying earlier, there's Metron who represents the neutral element of science. Mm -hmm. um, uh, to this point, everyone we've seen is full of passion, but mm -hmm. Metron may as well be a robot for all his care for passion. Yeah. You know, all he cares about is truth. He can go everywhere and do anything, but he's not dangerous to anybody because he's completely neutral in all the events. Well, he could be dangerous, in my opinion. So, yeah. I, I mean, later on, he actually does help a little bit, but only to serve his own purpose. And one of the things, uh, Metron, you know, he's all knowledge. I actually didn't look up what Metron is on the dictionary, but basically uh, he says, uh, Orion says, like Orion says, be content with your Mobius chair, which rides a dimension. Basically, he says, like, all you care about is sitting in your chair and getting all the knowledge you want, not caring about what goes around. And here's the thing about science, which is chilling, which was chilling just thinking about, is that science is neutral and can serve both good and evil. Like in World War, well, I don't know the bomb, but if you really think about it, you know, science can heal. You could use it for medicine. You could use, you know, help people, or you could destroy. And it doesn't really make a distinction between good and evil. It's whoever, like a lot of, sometimes you'll see like, they'll talk about like Oppenheimer. I think, I don't know too much about, you know, the Manhattan projects, but I do, I have heard that Oppenheimer was a little bit crazy in that like, he really sided with us because we had the best, we had the best technology to help him develop the science. It wasn't like a belief system, you know, mm -hmm. but there is, there is that. And, and I think it's interesting to me is like right now as the and Metron also, I think there's a point there. I don't know exactly when, but he says when the world ended, when the old gods died, I created the, the boom tube to, and it, I created something for you to get around or whatever. And it's interesting because it also points out that in new societies, we're starting to worship. We can, if we're, if it's, we can, he doesn't explicitly say here, but we have made science into a, into gods into a god and what that where that can be dangerous is we could lose our morality there's that philosophy of humanity that we could lose if we start to worship science because if you're worshiping science science only cares about what's the best way for me to get knowledge not what's the best way from a human perspective so that's what i saw from metrons and i i actually had struggles like what's before reading it I always wonder why would Metron be a bad guy? He's like smart. Science knows good versus evil, which is not true. That's where humanity comes in, you know. Mm -hmm. It's all the way you use it and the way everything comes into play. It's interesting too. It's called the boom tube. It's like the boom of a bomb. Yeah. Um, and you know, we had never seen the boom tube before. It pops up in pages twenty and twenty-one. I guess, yeah, just page 21. And it's kind of terrifying when you first see it in action. Mm -hmm. uh, the first panel of page 21 where um, 
you know, the humans, one of the people says, hey, look, it's some kind of tube appearing out of thin air. It's yeah. from the waves of the mind. Enter it. And they're like, you could just feel like this fear of, of what's going to happen, right? No one really knows. Uh, and it, when you when you go through it, it it, it displays that Kirby crackle, the, the yeah. dots, um, which also like speak of this untrammeled energy, this energy that you can't control in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's just like we don't know what science is going to bring us, and we don't know what's going to be at the other set, the other end of that science either. Mm-hmm. Like literally, you know, okay, the boom tube is going to take them to Earth, but do the people really believe that? Is it really going to happen? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's also powerful this issue. Yeah, it's crazy, and then. Um... Yeah, it's pretty good. I was actually going to jump into some other stuff that might be spoiler, so I won't talk about that, but we can talk about that if we come to in the future issues. Um, yeah, but, let's let's stay with number one because um, yeah. there there's so many so much greatness coming in the next few uh, issues. Can I ask you one other thing? So on page 19, he comes in, I think it's 19, yeah. He comes in and you see a statue of Darkseid you know, the ultimate evil, you know? Mm-hmm. And the first thing that you hear him say out loud is, hail dark side, ruler of apocalypse. I was like, why would he say that? Like, isn't it a bad guy, his enemy and stuff? That's a really interesting question. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Um, page, page 12, panel three, hail dark side. Is he being sarcastic or ironic? I th- I think it's probably sarcastic, but it's like... Well, the, it continues. He says, Hail Darkseid, ruler of apocalypse, wielder of holocaust, disciple of power and death. You shall never seize the anti-life equation while I am in the fight against you. Yeah, it, it, I guess I read it as him like hailing an enemy king or something. I think it's respect. I and That then, was the first word that came to my mind, is respect. And I think it's... um. He doesn't feel emotion, I don't think. I don't think to uh, Orion, and again, like we, we, you know, there's actually um, um, earlier on page six or the page 16, my 16 on the trade paperback, Metron mentions that he's the son of Darkseid. So I feel like Orion having been born on Apocalypse and he doesn't have any he knows he's doing what's right, not what feels right. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's really amazing. That's that's a sign of being a good person is that like it's not where you came from, but what you choose to do. And so, at, this, at this point, he doesn't know he's from Apocalypse. He doesn't. But he, but my yet, father says that on page nine. He doesn't it's know not it. Yet time for him to know. He doesn't know it, but he is. That's him. Like internally, intuitively, like in, instinctively, he is of an evil area. And he does have, I mean, we'll find later too, right? Again, spoilers, but we'll see, like, he has to clean up his face to not look ugly. And so, yeah. so you can read it the opposite way too, where he's fighting his, his deeper nature, his, the fact that he is Darkseid's son. Uh, as a, no, no, sorry, and, that's what I mean. Sorry, I didn't express the part. That's what I kind of mean. Sorry. And he he's saying that because he can't control himself. Mm-hmm. Mm. He yeah. he has to give deference to Dark Side. I don't know. I don't know, but I do think he does redeem himself. Is like you know, like I don't know. I don't know what that was. It's probably respect, but it was just something that jumped out. It's funny we haven't even talked about the art, which is amazing, and. I want to say, um, just to kind of on time, we have about, what is it, like 15 minutes left? Yeah. Um, Other than that, um, I'm trying to think if there's any other notes I have. Oh, another thing is, uh, so did we talk about the humans being abducted? We haven't talked about that yet. Um, So I think when when you said on page you mentioned 25 because I'm looking at it. He sees the abducting humans. This is so interesting to me because um, I'm assuming alien abductions became popular around that, that time where like, you know, <laughs> alien probing, you know, you get your butt probed and stuff. It's so amazing how like Kirby can go beyond that 
and think about they're probing your minds for an alien invasion to learn about you. Because in the anything when I was a little kid, you hear about like, oh, they're just going to try to like do tests on you like we do tests on cows. But I, this is like an invasion, you know, it's just kind of interesting about how that um, and I think it's funny how like it's regular people, too, you know. Yeah, we we learn a lot more about them in the next issue. Yeah. And how they tie into the anti-life equation. Um, but it, it has it has this weird effect, this really important effect, I guess, to have these four people be discovered because it grounds the book in something we can relate to. Up until page 19 of the story, it's all done on this, it's all presented on this cosmic level. Mm-hmm. And it may as well be, you know, Thor and Loki and Odin arguing. Um, and then suddenly, they don't have much space in this issue, but suddenly we have someone who's a point of view character. Up until yeah. that point, it's all been kind of displayed summer movie style as something we can't quite completely relate to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is funny because this is as diverse as you can get in 1970 with two, one, uh, two brown-haired guys or whatever, like two guys, two guys, and at least they've got a woman there, mm-hmm. and an older guy and two younger guys. I mean, the the point of view characters is something Kirby really plays with a lot more coming up, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll, you know, if we do do this series, which I hope we do, we'll talk about. Um, my favorite issue, which is Terrible Turpin. Oh, yeah. Um, which I think is just just a sublime comic. Um, but he, uh, if there's one flaw in New Gods number one, it's that we don't have a point of view character. Mm. Well, is it, it's not Orion. He's not the... We don't, can we, we relate to the hit? Can we relate to Orion, though? Is he someone Orion. we can really see ourselves in? You can call him Orion. That's fine. I know Orion. <laughs> Sorry, I've been mispronouncing it. I don't um, know if you are. Or not. It doesn't matter uh, anyway. I was gonna say this. Uh, yeah, you're right. I guess I. I mean, I don't know. I do relate to him kind of. He's cool. Okay. When I'm a kid, and well, he's like a badass. You know. I mean, I don't know as an adult. I don't know, but I'm not a. I'm not a great writer myself, so I don't really know. I, I was gonna say one other thing at the end of the last page. You know, or the. Actually, page 22, the um, where he says, uh, Dark Side, I've come, the battle begins. And then you turn the page and it's Dark Side is saying, like, I hear you, or- Orion. Orion, the battle begins. It reminds me of Star Wars episode six when, um, and I, I'm sure what um, Lucas read this or was influenced by this. So it's like in episode six where Lucas going on the death stars all like you know my father you know they're they're talking to each other in their head it just reminds me of like father and son and of course they don't know their you know one of them doesn't know it's this father it's really interesting just like star wars oh yeah and there's been so much talk about how one uh, how kirby influenced george lucas and lucas has you know obviously acknowledged that just Mm -hmm. the connection between the source and the force is is obvious that's right yeah but they also play in the classic um the classic hero's journey sorts of tropes in, in this book. That last page, by the way, is just gorgeous. Again, it like evokes the the scene at the beginning of the war between the gods, but it's got this kind of darkness and um, power that just implies we're going to see something that's just going to continue the brilliance that we've already come across. Yeah. We've already seen. Um, so I would say this maybe one of the uh, not even maybe this is one of the top five first issues ever published in my mind mm, it's it's amazing yeah I love it's it. uh, it's almost perfect because it introduces as you were saying earlier not just story elements but themes that compel the reader to have to read more Mm-hmm. There's, I feel like there's no way we couldn't be swept up in the boom tube of this issue and mm-hmm. want to know where it's going to lead to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. I mean, so you, I, want to, you want to talk about the artwork? Uh, I mean, so, yeah, I'm looking at the artist edition right now. And it's, I mean, I, I don't know what I could add to the artwork part, um, but. If you you gotta see these, I don't. Do you have the artist edition for this 
I don't have the New Gods one. I have the Forever People edition. I, I, maybe I'll have to pick it up. It's um, I'm. I mean, I really appreciate you, you know, having this podcast and having to talk to me because I'm just enjoying this so much. It's bringing me so much joy and just looking at the original art. Um, I feel like a lot of it was you can't see it with the coloring. You know, I wish there's there's better coloring. You know, on the book. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think this some of the stuff that I wanted to talk about, like you do feel like I, I don't think to your point, I don't think Coletta really takes away much from the art. It doesn't look like it. I think yeah. later on he does. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, to me, we're getting we're still getting so much of the power from this. Of course, we don't know what we're not getting. But like, I don't know, the look on Orion's face on page eight when he's talking to Metron, for example, it's got this kind of ambiguous complexity to the character where you can kind of see more going on in his head than is there on the page. Like you can feel he's fighting something inside himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the, the book is full of scenes like that. Certainly don't feel like uh, Coletta took away from either the prologue or the epilogue pages. Yeah. I mean, like page one and two are just stunning. And then page three of Orion's face, I mean, that's almost a perfect page. It's like one of the great close-ups of any character. It just You just feel energy radiating from him. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I, actually, in the original art, you could see some things were um, erased. Okay. Not art, not art, just lettering and stuff but it's interesting okay i'm gonna have to order that now i have so many of the other artist editions but i never picked up this one but that that first page is uh i don't know if you could well i don't know if you could well no one can see it but um anyway so it's um whew, that was a great experience <laughs> a little kid like when i saw star wars and wanted to see star wars again so this is the first time you've read this. It was so, like a week or so ago, you'd never read New Gods. No, I mean, I flipped through the artworks. You know, I do that when I buy a book, but no, I hadn't. And you obviously loved it. I loved it. I was so, I was, I, when I read it, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I read it again today to, for a refresher, but um, I was just blown away of how, um, profound it was i thought it's like kids stuff you know i you know you hear about you know it's for kids right and i don't i think anybody can enjoy it and that's what's great about it well i think that's you you hit on it just now and you hit on it when you're talking about kirby kind of rising above his roots and all the adversity he had in his life to create this work that's so rich and so sublime um you know i always when I was doing a lot of criticism, I talked about auteur-driven work, where there's a single creator at the center of the work, and you re can really see the autobiographical elements of the creator coming through. And it's not just, you know, uh, Harvey Picard or Eddie Campbell who's doing that, or Joe Matt. You could see that in the best of the superhero work. Mm. Um, and you could certainly see that in the entire set of the fourth world storylines, especially mm -hmm. uh, because Kirby was working so quickly and so unfiltered because he was essentially his own editor. Um, he was directly channeling what was on his mind onto the page in this very kind of idiosyncratic way, which to me implies a lot of the same stuff that you love about Jim Rugg's work because he's it, it's his view of the world. And the fact he created something that's so relatable and so complex and so rich in character and theme mm -hmm. shows the brilliance of Kirby and shows why he is considered to be one of the greats. Mm -hmm. You don't always see that in every one of his works, but New Gods number one, I think, shows Kirby at his absolute best. Mm -hmm. um, and what's astonishing to me what like blows me away is that when we get to um, the glory boat, the death wish of terrible Turpin and uh, the pact, we'll see him get to another level, mm. which is, which is uh, 
literally the greatest comics ever published. Mm. I'm um, looking forward to it. I actually have not read that one, so I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, it, it two is two is a spectacular issue. Three, uh, we'll talk about three when we get to it. I have I have problems with the Black Racer. Mm. Uh, the Deep Six issue number four is very good, but um, five, um, which is five is Spawn, which is also a great comic. Six, excuse me, which is the Glory Boat. Um, oh, there's a scene in Glory Boat, and we'll get to it soon enough. Yeah, that um, like it's heart stopping in the context of the story. It's just it it's nearly perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm actually reading the glory boat right now. I'm actually there right now. And, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so I'm in the glory Kirby boat. Kirby stayed inspired too. Uh, if you have the full fourth world on the bus, um, the the conclusion he created in the uh, for the Baxter reprints in '82 or so is really good, and then I believe his work on the the Hunger Dogs, which a lot of people dismiss, I think is amazing. Mm. I think it, it ranks with the greatest works he ever produced. I think it's Hunger just, Dogs is in this trade of paperback, so it's in here. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I'm going off on a tangent. Um, so how would you sum up your experience with New Gods number one? Uh, it was like watching Star Wars, like a serial of Star Wars. And it's pretty quick. I thought it was going to take longer because I've read the, you know, the Fantastic Four. And maybe this is, I need to revisit it. But it felt like that one just took a lot longer to read than this one. I think this, the writing on this one is much more modern than, than that than the Fantastic Four stuff, but... Yeah, and let's talk about his writing in the future, because one of the things that he was criticized about was the writing he... His writing of these... Uh, you know, people think his writing is stilted and such, but I think his writing works perfectly here. It does, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. That's cool. Um, to me, this is about as good as comics get. No matter what kind of comics you love, I think Kirby's New Gods is just sublime. Mm-hmm. And um, rereading it and getting to really think about it and talk about it with you has brought out pieces that I hadn't really considered before. Mm-hmm. And um, it really is as it, it, it's um, as good as comics get, and really is like fine art in its own way. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. considering this is 1970 commercial work being produced at newsstands with the assumption no one's going to read this again. Um, Kirby poured so much of himself into it, produced something that was astonishing. That's interesting to think about that, like, comics were like that. Like, no one's, there's no collections. Or, yeah, I'm just, this is just a one and done. No one's going to read it again. It's incredible. So... Next, we will be talking about um, New Gods number two, I guess. Oh, Deadly Dark Side. Uh-oh. Which goes deeper into the uh, humans' lives. Victor, Claudia, Harvey, and Dave um, brings in the deep six. Um, and we will really see Dark Side in action. Yeah, looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. Thanks for doing this with me, Amir. Thanks, Jason.